This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC Radio WA. Hello, how are you today? Hope your day is going well. I'm so happy you can spend some of it here on the Country Hour today. A little later this hour, you are going to meet some of the men and women from WA's agriculture and mining and resources sector who've been recognised in the Australia Day honours list today for their service to the industry and the community. That's after the news headlines at half past 12 today. And being a Friday just before one today, Danny Burkett's going to be along and he's going to go through the details of this week's wool market. A little bit flat again this week, but Danny will go through the different microns and the prices and who was buying just before the hour is finished today. To kick off today, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission will conduct an inquiry into Australia's supermarket sector, including the pricing practices of the supermarkets and the relationship between wholesale and retail prices. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, made the announcement yesterday that Treasurer Jim Chalmers will direct the ACCC to conduct the 12-month review, which will investigate the difference between farm gate prices and checkout prices. Deputy Chair of the ACCC, Mick Keogh, says the inquiry will get to the bottom of what's going on in the supply chain. We are still to formally receive the notice, but uh, normally we would expect that on receipt of the notice, we would set up a team that would work on the project. We would usually release an issues paper identifying the, the key issues we want to hear from people about. And that would create the opportunity for submissions from a a wide range of different interest groups. At the same time, we would probably start identifying what we think the key markets are that we want to have a look at. And uh, then we would progress to issuing notices seeking specific information from particular parties. They then have an opportunity timeframe to compile the information and respond to us. That may be repeated. We may we may go to a second request for information and then we would start. We have a fairly well-credentialed uh, special data unit that is very adept at putting all that information together and making sense of it. And uh, from there, we would start analysing and uh, it's forecast that we would produce an interim report sometime during the middle of the year and then a final report just after the end of the year. So it's quite a detailed and involved process, but uh, one we think that is very useful in terms of getting to the bottom of what's going on in uh, a range of different supply chains. One of the supply chains, obviously, is the relationship between farmers and the supermarkets. So will farmers be able to give evidence or submit documents to the inquiry anonymously potentially because we know there's obviously commercial risk for farmers if they uh, do speak out against the supermarkets. Uh, Yeah one of the advantages again of the way this inquiry will operate is we have complete ability to retain confidentiality over any of the information we've provided with so that is very important in terms of reassuring anyone who wants to provide us with information or submit documents that uh, we can 
and uh, regularly do. We do these inquiries on a routine basis and there is quite strong confidentiality obligations on us to the extent that <laughs> we can potentially end up having to go to jail if uh, we uh, in a, release the information which we shouldn't. So um, that provides some assurance that uh, if people do want to submit information confidentiality in confidentially, that will be respected. You mentioned earlier some of the powers that the ACCC has in an inquiry like this. Will you be asking to look at the contracts and pay negotiations between the supermarkets and individual farmers? We haven't uh, got to the detail yet, but uh, typically, uh, uh, well, to give you an example, in 2018, we conducted a detailed inquiry into the dairy industry, and that's precisely what it involved. It involved looking at all the contractual arrangements between suppliers and dairy processors, getting to the bottom of exactly what prices were being paid for milk and how the contracts were structured, where the risk was, and uh, coming to some conclusions out of that. So that's what we've done in the past in these sort of inquiries, and it would be likely we would head in that direction, I suspect. A key part of this inquiry has been the concern from not only consumers but also farmers about the disparity between what farmers are getting at the farm gate and what consumers are paying at the checkout. So how will you be navigating that part of the investigation? Uh, well, we, the powers that we have under the inquiry mean we can seek information from a range of parties, so it wouldn't necessarily just be the supermarkets. Uh, for example, uh, it may extend to wholesalers in the fruit and vegetable sector. It may extend to uh, abattoirs and processors in the red meat sector. So it, it gives us a fairly wide discretion and we have to be careful because we don't want to subject people to unnecessary and bureaucratic process. But if we need the information to understand absolutely what's happening in a particular supply chain, the reference we have from the government uh, provides us with those powers. So we have heard from the National Farmers Federation saying that they do want uh, a broader scope than the supermarkets going down into those supply chains, which does sound like that is exactly what's going to happen. Well, I, th I think, yes, it's quite important. Uh, I mean, I guess the, the fundamental questions being asked are whether there is proper competition on the supply side. So in other words, are farmers and other suppliers being treated fairly in their dealings with supermarkets in providing products for the supermarkets to sell? And then on the other side, are supermarkets reasonably pricing those goods for consumers or, or are consumers getting taken advantage of? So both those ends of supply chains need to be looked at to get a full picture of what's happening. I think that's quite important. On that point, different commodity groups have different supply chain challenges. So how will the inquiry handle uh, the meat industry, for example, versus horticulture? Absolutely. We, we need to, it's not, uh, I mean, I'll, we often speak of the supermarket sector, but uh, as everyone knows, uh, you know, sometimes they have eight or 10,000 different product lines. Um, the main ones from the agricultural perspective are obviously the meat and the fruit and vegetables, and they are dramatically different supply chains. And we're well aware of that. We've done a lot of work over the years. Uh, we have the horticulture code we look after. We have the food and grocery code we look after. We have the dairy code that we look after. So we have pretty good expertise in 
the very different natures of those different supply chains and that means we won't take a blanket approach it means we will look at those different supply chains uniquely and make sure we understand and get to the bottom of what's happening in them. Deputy Chair of the ACCC, Mick Keogh, speaking to Jane McNaughton. 13 past 12, the National Farmers Federation has welcomed the Prime Minister's announcement of an ACCC supermarket pricing inquiry. David Johinke is the President of the NFF and he says the fresh food market is one of the most vulnerable sectors set to benefit from this inquiry. Quite frankly, when you've got a perishable good, you are forced into scenarios of selling to in a scenario where the supply and demand equation doesn't allow you to try to find a better solution. So, yes, fresh food will benefit from this investigation. However, other products like the meat industry and even um, the processing industries in general need to be investigated to make sure that we are getting the most efficient system possible for Australians. Do you think this will potentially expose some of the problems with contracts between major supermarkets and smaller scale growers, for example? Well, hopefully the terms of reference does cover those scenarios. And once again, hearing the announcements, great. We just, the devil's always in the detail. So we are hoping that it does go down to that level of um, investigation. But we are always concerned that farmers haven't got the ability to negotiate against larger organisations within that supply chain that can basically either make you take it or leave it or give you a few other options to be able to get your food to market. So for us, yes, we want to make sure that as many aspects of, once again, the supply chain are covered and those circumstances where farmers are getting a raw deal, those can be exposed. And if it's a contractual agreement, that those contracts can be more favourable for producers. But if it's a um, quality or if it's a, a specifications issue that we can both have different avenues to sell this produce or even to the fact that consumers can have a choice between if they want to have a standard supermarket product or a, or an item that's smaller or larger than that because it's still good food and can still be consumed but it may not be to a certain specification or standard. This is a 12-month inquiry. There's farmers right now who are struggling to get by. There's also people not being able to afford food in the supermarkets. So is 12 months too long? Once again, this is the the dilemma we sit in. Everyone's wanting a silver bullet solution that they can click their fingers and will solve this overnight. Unfortunately, that's not on the agenda and that's not going to happen. What we've got is a long-term issue that needs a long-term strategy to solve it. Any short-term solutions will not get the long-term effect that we want. So unfortunately, I can't foresee the prices of food um, being remedied by this in within the 12 months. But it hopefully we'll start by having that conversation, making people more aware of where does your food come from? When you purchase food, who are you supporting? And then more so, what, what are you actually buying? What is the value of that produce that you're, you're purchasing? In the rural sector, we've been speaking about price discrepancies for a while, but the fact that this is now on the Prime Minister's agenda and has been making national news headlines for the last few weeks, how does that make you feel? Look, this is really good news in the sense that finally we've been able to get some cut through and for people to understand that this isn't easy fix problem or a or a, an issue that's just related to farmers. That this has been an ongoing battle and has caused great frustration throughout the agricultural sector for and, and communities for a very long time. So 
to have it front and centre with the leader of Australia is good news. For us now, we need to make sure this is done in the best possible terms of reference to make sure that we're not leaving anyone behind in this conversation and that we don't rush to try to have a silver bullet fix. Once again, there's some systemic long-term issues that some are very boring and uh, straightforward, such as just getting decent roads so we can get product to and from farms, making sure we've got electrical infrastructure to ensure that our refrigerated supply chain isn't doubling its cost of uh, refrigeration on a, on you know every two to three years. These are some basic things that need to happen to ensure that uh, our food prices are both uh, kept low, but also our supply chains are most efficient. And from that we are very thankful that we, we are front and centre, but it's been a long time coming, the frustration's out there, and we want to make sure we get action out of uh, this inquiry. National Farmers Federation President David Johinke with Jane McNaughton. 18 past 12. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. Heading off to South Australia now, where a farmer has used his tractor's GPS system to dig into his paddock and create a map of Australia. Harrison Schuster farms at Freeling, 68 kilometres north of Adelaide. He says the work of art took quite a bit of preparation. It was probably two hours of actual actual field work and then plus the uh, a few hours of prep work and experimentation before the fact. And so what do you have to do to, to get the paddock prepared for this? So most of the, yeah, like I said, most of the, um, the time was in the prep work Leading up to it was actually yeah, almost a hobby, experimenting with um, turning an image into something you can follow on the tractor GPS screen by hand. That was just a few hours, some nights after work. And so do you set it up on your, your GPS? Yes, yes. The, the tractor has a screen that um, shows you where you, are, where you are in the paddock and um, yeah, shows you where you are in the paddock and then yeah, you basically just trace the line and um, lift or raise and lower the implement as you need. This is a map of Australia with the, the flag on it. Uh, how big is it? I'd say that the paddock itself is 130-ish hectares, give or take. And this one, I think, oh, I think it was maybe, turned out to be maybe 50 or 60 hectares total. It, I mean, you've done other ones before. What, what other pictures have you had out in the paddock? Uh, last year was a sunflower, so that's actually, that was on Google Earth for quite a few months. It actually still is. So we're hoping that we can get a flyover from one of the um, satellites to sort of immortalise this for a year. That'd be quite special. So it helps put Freeling on the map as well. Some people have thought of it as a bit of a pass-through town between two highways, but yeah, sort of it sort of puts us on the map a bit, which is yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great town in a great country, and it's just I don't know. It's, I've seen just from the the comments just on um, on Facebook that the reception's pretty good. And you've got your initials there. I'm assuming HS is for yeah. uh, for Harrison Schuster. Yes, just in case people didn't believe me, <laughs> <laughs> because there have, have been a couple of times where um, it's been posted and people are like, hang on, this is this is AI, especially nowadays. Yeah, that's right. There is a lot of talk with AI, so it yeah. definitely is out there, Harrison. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. for people that, that aren't farmers, they they can see the, the dark lines out there in the paddock. So you you plan it out. What what actually is that that dark line? That's just um, so right before I started, it was a, a bare paddock, and then the lines are just uh, tilled um, tilled ground. It's just dirt. Yep. There's nothing. It's it's probably an operation we we do anyway on some paddocks. So it's yeah, using existing machinery just to performing an existing operation. Do you sort of know what it's going to look like once you're, when you're out there or do you have to wait till you can get up there and, and take a photo? You cannot tell from the, from the road. It's very, uh, yeah, the perspective just doesn't do it justice from the road. It just looks like a, a bit of a scramble out in the paddock of what's going on here. You can only really 
get a true um, sense of scale once you're up in the air. South Australian farmer Harrison Schuster with Brooke Nindorf. Uh, if you want to take a look at that photo, and it is worth taking a look at that map of Australia in the paddock, just search Map of Australia Paddock ABC. Map of Australia Paddock ABC and you will see the very handiwork that Harrison has done in the paddock to create, dig basically uh, that map or outline of Australia in one of his paddocks. Go and check it out online. 21 past 12, around about half past 12 today, an update from the newsroom for you. We're checking on the headlines and then off to the Bureau of Meteorology to check weather conditions right around Western Australia. And just taking a look at the rainfall totals overnight, and this is something you don't hear very often, the goldfields recorded the biggest falls by far. Up until 9 o'clock this morning, Laverton Aero 64, Leinster Aero 94 mils in the gauge, and Leonora Aero had 41. Ross Norrie lives at Leonora, about 830 kilometres northeast of Perth. Ross, what was it like getting that sort of rain? Fantastic. It's, uh, I was out bottle collecting out in the old woodlines a couple of weeks ago and couldn't believe how the countryside was struggling. That this, you, know, you can have a, a thunderstorm and, and have half an inch or an inch of rain, but it all washes into the washes away where this is three days of just soaking rain. It's absolutely fabulous. Now, so 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning, you got the 41 mils. But take us through the last couple of days because you had some more, what, the previous day? Yeah, I, I tipped out 23 uh, Saturday morning. It started Friday night. Um, 23 on, sorry, today's um, Friday, on Thursday night. Uh and this morning I tipped out 42. So we have had 65 for the, the last couple of days. Oh, so good. And what was it like? What was the rain like? Was it really heavy or just steady? How would you describe it? Just steady soaking. Mm. Uh, and, you know, a couple of odd showers, but it was, you know, like drizzle, you know, intermittent windscreen wipers, but just nonstop. Yeah, just like you'd order it. <laughs> now, you're on, the, <laughs> you're on the Leonora Council too, Ross. What about any road closures due to this sort of rain that's fallen? Yeah, the, uh, the road's closed, Leinster, uh, Leonora to Leinster, um, obviously because Leinster's absolutely been hammered. And the road is closed to Laverton as well, um, to all traffic as far as I know. Um, it was all closed this morning, but I'm, I'm thinking that uh, you know, as soon as the the rain is lightening off, and um, as soon it's and be just some crossings that will be absolutely roaring over. Yeah, and how so badly did the country need a good downpour like this? Oh, it's it, we've had a, a pretty dry run for the last six or seven years, and so you know that was was saying when we were out uh, bottle collecting, big swathes of mulga was were dying. Um, there was, and we were finding a few bottles because there was no undergrowth. There was there's just nothing, and um, uh, it just really needed a good drink, and this is what, um, just what the doctor ordered. Yeah. How long have you lived in this region? Um, up, getting up to 30 years. 30 years. So, wow. And I guess, you know, over those years, there would have been a lot more sheep and goats in the area, you know, back 30 years or so ago. Yeah, when I uh, moved into the goldfields in, in the mid-'80s to, on the, on the, um, to work on the sheep stations, I, in the Shire, I thought we would have had, you know, 200,000 sheep and as many goats and as, and as many roos because there was a, a paddock, there's a windmill on every corner. 
and so there was plenty of water um, to keep everything going. But if we had to those numbers now, the place would be the biggest dust bowl in, in Australia. Mm. And what? so what are the numbers like today? None. We have uh, zero sheep, zero goats, and um, we there's a, um, some pastures running in cattle, but, you know, not, not huge numbers of cattle. Yeah, well, that's quite a contrast and quite a change in, you know, relatively short amount of time. Uh, I'm so glad there's been some rain and, you know, it just brings the country to life, doesn't it, Ross? And it must be such a joy to, to see it after so many years of not having a good downpour like that. Uh, yeah, you just, yeah, just keep wandering around and just the rain. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic uh, time and, and hopefully we'll, the, the country will kick up and uh, we'll get some wildflowers, which will be a, a, a bonus. Oh, a real treat. Ross, good to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Ross Norrie, who lives at Leonora, about 830 kilometres northeast of Perth. Some very nice rain in the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. 41 mils at Leonora Aero. Richard Hudson will be in the studio uh, shortly, just after half past 12, after a cross to the Bureau to go through the rainfall figures right around Western Australia. It is 26 past 12. Well, it's been a long night for North Queenslanders with Cyclone Kiralee crossing the coast near Townsville. It hit at a, as a Category 3 system and has now been downgraded to a tropical low. The town of Hewenden, 710 kilometres west of Mackay, has spent the week preparing for potentially damaging winds, heavy rain and possible flooding. Mayor of the Flinders Shire, Jane McNamara, says there's been minimal impact to the region and some areas have completely missed out on any rain. We've had over 40 millimetres overnight and mainly this morning. North of Huendon, there's been some better falls and unfortunately south of Huendon, very little rain. So the graziers down there will be still looking skyward at the, at the moment. It didn't start raining here until the early hours of the morning, so it's been quite a nice steady rain this morning, but as I said, very little wind. So it is supposed to be getting here by mid-morning, I believe. So we'll see what happens. How's it looking at yes. the moment? Oh, just grey, <laughs> grey clouds and um, and nice gentle rain. So uh, you couldn't ask for more than that, except we would like some rain in the southern part of the Shire. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt disappointing for those graziers that were hoping for some good rain that have missed out yes. so far. Yes, yeah, we've got some dams that haven't been filled for three years. So we were thinking, oh, good, Kira Lee might do that for us, but I don't think it's going to. Flinders Shire Mayor Jane McNamara speaking to Madeline McCosker. 27 past 12. Well, just southwest of Hewenden, graziers are welcoming the rain and further north, even bigger totals have been recorded. Kylie and Jack Stewart-Moore live on Dunluce Station, just west of Hewenden, and they also own Burlington Station, 280 kilometres southwest of Cairns, which has recorded a huge 175 millimetres of rain. Kylie says she's had about 50 mils on Dunluce since it started raining this morning. It's very welcome. <laughs> it's always welcome to have great rainfall here. And, yes, it was, we were up to about 75 to 100 mils over most of the place for January, which is, is a lovely start, but this will certainly help keep everything growing and green. Fantastic. 
Kylie, you and Jack um, and your family, there's another property that you own, Burlington. It's had significant rain. You've been on the phone to them already this morning. It was right in the path of, of where the rain really fell down. That's right, Ali. So Mark and Shanine Williams manage Burlington and we've been talking to them overnight. They started getting good rain during the night and with our farm bots over to the west side of the place as well as the homestead at the east measuring at about 175 mils all over. So it's, yeah, really significant rain. Lots of lots of water coming down through the, the spring-fed creeks and um, have seen some good footage this morning of, of lots of water visible from the house even. Quite incredible. They're all okay up there though? They seem to be fine, yes. Um, so house is situated high up and there is plenty of plenty of higher up country for livestock to, to get to, to a safe area as well as um, Mark's shifted everything up into into a safe area um, to avoid any any problems there. So yeah, everything seems to be good up there. Just mm. a, a significant amount of water. We've had a really good start to the year up at Burlington. So we were up to about 425 millimeters there for January alone. For this time of the year, it, it's been a, a really beautiful start. So they did have a fair bit of of moisture in the ground already and um, this will just be adding to that. It sounds like this has been a, a, a good event really. Yeah, seems to be beautiful so far and hopefully not too much widespread damage for anybody and we'll just wait to see what the weather brings. Kylie Stewart-Moore from Dunluce Station in central Queensland where they've had 50 millimetres of rain, even better at Burlington Station near Mount Surprise with 175 mils in the gauge. And Kylie was speaking to Ali Felton-Taylor. It is half past 12 here on the Country Hour. Garrett Mundy in the studio. What's making the headlines, Garrett? In the news, Belinda, WA has marked Australia Day with several citizenship ceremonies across the state. More than 100 people from 45 countries were welcomed as new citizens along the South Perth foreshore this morning. They joined many thousands who took place in similar ceremonies across the country. North Korean state media is reporting a Chinese delegation has arrived in Pyongyang for talk aimed at boosting bilateral relations. In December, reports suggested a North Korean diplomatic delegation was visiting China for talks on strengthening cooperation. The move last month came as Pyongyang was opening its borders and resuming trade with its neighbours after the COVID-19 pandemic. And Canada says it's disappointed by Britain's decision to suspend talks on a free trade deal. It's the first time the UK has formally stopped discussions with another country since it left the EU's trading regime in 2021. Negotiators had been trying to extend temporary arrangements put in place after Brexit, but disputes about agricultural exports couldn't be overcome. That's the news, Belinda. Garrett, thank you for that. Appreciate it. 29 to 1. Between now and the news at 1, um, catching up with Danny Burkett just before 1, he'll go through the wool market details for you, sales here in the West and in the East. And also, you're going to meet some Western Australians who are being honoured today in the Australia Day Awards. One is Peter Libby who's been a trailblazing geologist. I always loved rocks as a kid and I um, always wanted to be a geologist. Well, my parents tell me that when I was eight, I told them I wanted to open up a rock shop. Well, we'll meet Peter shortly here on the Country Hour. Right now, off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Angeline Prasad, we've just been talking about some of the rainfall figures in the gold fields. Pretty impressive in the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. So let's start in northern and eastern parts of the state. How's it looking this afternoon and what lies ahead? 
Good afternoon, Belinda. Yes, some very impressive rainfall over desert country. And I was looking at rainfall totals over the last few days uh, through this this area. And yes, some incredible rainfall totals. And uh, Wiluna 79. Sorry, I'm looking at the last few days. Newman 175. Wiluna actually 128. Um, and then yes, uh, Leonora, Leomon, uh, sorry, Leonora and Linstar and Leverton, they've all received some pretty good rainfall totals over the last few days. Uh, we still have a cloud band that's extending across the eastern parts of the Gascoigne, so from about Mikathara all the way to the east of Kalgoorlie and into into uh, into the Eucla district. And we're still seeing steady rain across uh, these areas. However, the rain should gradually ease um, later this afternoon over the overnight period. And we may still see a patchy cloud band, so some patchy light rainfall may linger tomorrow, especially through the southern parts of the south interior. Uh, but we do expect um, the rain to finally ease off overnight into tomorrow. Um, across elsewhere, across the north of the state, um, it's it's fairly unstable uh, across the Kimberley and uh, through the remainder of the interior, especially the northern parts of the interior. So we'll continue to see uh, showers and thunderstorms through these areas. Starting to see a bit of dry air extending across the Pilbara, though. So we might see one or two isolated thunderstorms through this, especially through inland and eastern parts, but they're generally going to be dry today. And then further ahead, Angeline, what does it look like for northern and eastern parts? Well, um, we do expect a trough uh, to move and settle over the inland parts of uh, of the state, uh, the inland southern parts. So there is a risk of dry thunderstorm activity returning, especially through parts of the Gold, uh, the Gascoigne and the gold fields uh, from as early as Sunday onwards. Um, the heatwave conditions have eased uh, across the central districts, but there's still patches of low intensity still hanging around, especially across the far western parts of the Gascoigne and parts of the interior. And we'll see these um, heatwave conditions build again uh, f- uh, from from Sunday. So initially it will be low intensity, um, but we'll see severe intensity heat wave return uh, to much of central and southern WA um, early next week. So a lot of heat um, is going to return. So yes, there has been some nice cool temperatures across inland parts of WA, especially through uh, the Pilbara and the Gascoigne, but unfortunately we'll see those uh, very hot temperatures return as early as um, as Monday next week. Across the Kimberley, um, we'll see some drier extent across, uh, so thunderstorms are going to contract more towards central and eastern Kimberley this weekend. However, next week is looking particularly interesting. Um, we have had uh, uh, ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee that made landfall uh, last night uh, through uh, uh, through the uh, near Townsville uh, in in Queensland, and currently it's sitting well inland of Queensland. It is forecast to move across the Northern Territory over the next few days, and may survive as a tropical low to uh, to uh, to move into Northern WA sometime middle. To late next week. So that is going to be quite interesting in terms of renewed rainfall, heavy rainfall for parts of the Kimberley and um, potential impacts for the river systems uh, through through the Kimberley, uh, um, 
sometime next week, most likely mid to late next week. Oh, well, that sounds interesting because there are still quite a few who need some rain on those cattle stations through the Kimberley. Yes. If that happens, it's going to be phenomenal because you'd, you rarely see a, a, an ex-tropical cyclone make its way all the way across Australia. So uh, uh, from a meteorological point of view, that is going to be very interesting. There is still a minor flood warning uh, for the Fitzroy River uh, Fitzroy River catchment. Uh, the minor flood warning is for downstream of the Fitzroy River catchment. So we may see some minor flooding at Wilaya early next week. All right, let's move into the Southwest Land Division. It certainly heats up midweek in some parts yes. of this region. So let's start with this afternoon and, and work your way up to that point, Nanj. Pretty settled weather across the Southwest Land Division uh, this uh, today and over the weekend. We do have a West Coast rough that is deepening uh, over the next couple of days. Um, doesn't do much in terms of weather, just a bit of an increase in temperatures, especially closer to the West Coast. Um, the rest of the Southwest Land Division will generally be um, average to slightly below average temperatures, sunny days ahead. There's a bit of smoke haze from a couple of going fires along the south coast that's extending into the inland parts. But apart from that, I'm expecting settled weather conditions for this long weekend. Um, now, the heat wave conditions that I've been talking um, across that is going to develop across central districts, that those very hot temperatures will move into uh, into the southwest land division um, from as early as Monday onwards for much of next week. Um, we have got a weak front that brushes past the, past the southwest coast on Sunday, and we are it, it is quickly followed by another ridge of high pressure. Um, once we see this ridge develop across southern WA again on Monday, we, we do see a, a west coast trough form again quite quickly. So uh, very hot conditions may develop quite quickly next week across um, much of the southwest land division. So we're going to look at hot to very hot temperatures and um, with that uh, ridge developing, we'll most likely see fresh winds during the day. So that will lead to elevated fire dangers next week. So there's a risk of bushfires. Um, and also with the West Coast Rough, we do see a return of um, potential dry lightning uh, across the landscape. So next week, both uh, across the Southwest Land Division and across Northern WA is going to be very interesting weather. So yes, um, uh do be aware that we may see a prolonged period of heatwave conditions across Southwest Land Division uh, for much of next week. And the warnings for this afternoon? So thankfully, we have gotten rid of most of our warnings, but there is still a flood watch uh, for the Salt Lakes uh, uh, District rivers, so that's across the gold fields. We're hoping to finalise this warning tomorrow once the rain eases uh, tonight across uh, across uh, the gold fields. There's a minor flood warning for the Fitzroy River and that may continue into next week. It's a large river system and water is moving very slowly downstream and a marine wind warning uh, across some of our coastal waters, uh, so Gascoigne and down to Bunbury coasts. And thank you so much. Appreciate that. It is 21 to 1. Richard Hudson just making his way into the studio now to go through the rainfall figures. Yeah, and in the northern and eastern forecast districts, a little bit around in the Kimberley, but as you mentioned before, they're not taking the spotlight today. Uh, Curtin Airport 11, Elquestro 12, Kachana 6, Columbaroo 15, Marion Downs 11, Theta 6, Troughton Island 5 and Truscott 10. 
Hardly anything at all, really. In the Pilbara, Bonnie Downs, 48. In the Gascoigne, Ned's Creek got another lovely 12 mils and Three, Cre- uh, Three Rivers got another 11 mils. But then in the interior, Carnegie, 11, Granite Peak, 19, Prenty Downs, 6, Chucky Yeela, 8 and Wongawal, 6. And then the Goldfields, Edgerdina, 36, Laverton, 64, Leinster, 94, and as you heard from Ross Norrie, Leonora had 41 mils in the 24 hours up until 9am this morning. Even the Eucla got some rain. Air 7, Mundrabilla Station, a very welcome 21 mils. And Red Rock Point had 11. Nothing out on the islands. And again, nothing at all in the entire southwest land division forecast districts. There are some fires around at the moment, Bell. Um, a lot of them are at an advice level in Western Australia, but one in the Shire of Jinjin is still at a watch and act level. So the warning is in place for people in an area bounded by Baramba Road to the north, Nabaroo Road to the east, Benny's Road to the south and Garbanup Road to the west in parts of Breton Bay, Kawala and Carrican, all in the Shire of Jinjin. So that bushfire is moving fast in a westerly direction. It's not contained or controlled. There is still a possible threat to lives and homes and the conditions are changing. So if you're not prepared or you plan to leave, leave now if the way is clear. And if you're well prepared and plan to defend your home, please make your final preparations now. And if you need the latest on that fire or any of the others, just search emergency and WA and you'll find all the information. The most important ones at the highest level of advice are at the very top of the website. Due to the risk of fire and the fact that most of your volunteer firefighters are planning to spend today with their families, most shires have imposed a harvest and vehicle movement ban. If you're considering harvesting, it's essential you check with your local government if a harvest ban is enforced in your area. So please, don't harvest or use any equipment that could start a fire, including driving vehicles across paddocks without checking. Contact your local shire for details and from all of us here at ABC Radio Perth and WA, have a happy and safe Australia Day. 18 to 1 here on the Country Hour on the ABC Listen app and streaming live on the website. So just search ABC WA Country Hour for that streaming service. Uh, Still to come, Danny Burkett along. He'll go through the wool market details for you. And whenever lithium gets mentioned these days, it's normally because it's one of the key minerals needed for batteries required for things like phones and electric cars. But before this battery boom, lithium was used to change the way Germans brew beer. WA-based Professor Dudley Kinsnorth played a part in this and other uses for lithium mined in WA's southwest. I made a presentation at the Metal Events Conference in San Antonio last year and what I called it was every supply chain starts at a mine and that's the whole thrust of what I'm saying. We're never going to be successful unless we recognise that every supply chain starts at a mine and we have to relate to every step in the supply chain from the mine through to the finished product. And I learned a lot about that when I was working with green bushes. So, for instance, I went to Germany and I went went to a company called Tetau and I met this gentleman called Mr. Schnappalf. And I've never known anybody. Have you ever been in a glass factory producing beer bottles? It's a hell of a noise. His voice, he could be heard above the clashing of the, of the machines making the bottles. Anyway, what he wanted to do, he said, right, 
Dudley, I want to produce the first 300 mil beer bottle under 100 grams. And he said, right, I think we can do this with lithium because what it does, it reduces what they call the seeds in the glass and that means the glass is inherently stronger. And we set out to produce the first 100 gram beer bottle. What year was this? Would have been about 87, 88. Now, unfortunately, we did all that and the price of energy fell. But nevertheless, we actually proved it. I learned so much. So when I went to Germany and spoke to Mr. Tetau, I went and talked to him. And I said, now, what is it that's important? And, and talking to him, what I did, I actually be able to relate it to what we were going to pre- we were producing at Greenbushes. And some of the things that we thought were important, he said, oh, no, no, that's not important. But this is really important. So we worked with him to produce this, this concentrate, which was called glass-grade spodumene, to make that product. Do you ever look now at where the spodumene market is or the lithium market is and, and look back to those early days where you were sort of innovating and producing and see how far it's become and, and how critical oh, a mineral it is yeah. now? Oh, it's terrific. I look back at it and, and um, I think, well, we, we, we started it in a small way and the, you know, the volume of spodumene that we produced was nowhere near the volume that we're, we're producing now. But nevertheless, that's important. Dudley Kinsnorth speaking to Andrew Chounding. And Professor Kinsnorth is today being awarded a Medal of the Order of Australia for his service to mining and to the community. Quarter to one. A trailblazer in the resources industry is also being recognised today with an OAM award. Geologist Peter Libby started in the industry over 30 years ago. She started with a team of geoscientists doing contract work and project management for exploration companies. But it sounds like the whole mining industry has come a long way since her early days. You know, when I started, there was no drug and alcohol screening. You know, it was very much a cowboy industry. We didn't wear hard hats on the drill rig. We didn't wear steel cap boots. I was in a, you know, pair of shorts and a bikini top half the time when I was a graduate, you know. We weren't very sun smart. So, I mean, look, there's been an, an enormous amount of change. I mean, when I started underground in October 93, I was the only girl working underground. There weren't even female toilets and it had only been legal for women to work underground since 1985. Um, so, yeah, it's changed enormously. And, and on that subject of being a woman in not only, I guess, the mining sector, but more broadly those science-based uh, occupations, um, how have you seen that change over the years and, and how do you reflect on those years early in your career when you would have been one of a handful? Well, you know, when I went through uni, there were 30 of us in third year and 10 of us, so a third of us were females. So we never ever thought that we were anything but geologists, right? Um, And I never even gave any thought to the fact that I was a female, except that, you know, it's going to be a bit more difficult having children trying to work in the bush. But we resolved that one pretty quickly by living in a mining town. So I never actually ever saw myself as a female in the mining sector. I never saw myself as a geologist. Um, And it isn't until recent times when you realise that you can't be what you can't see. And so you need to get visible for young people to show that there is a pathway um, for young women to come through the sector and that our presence is accepted and, you know, in general, I mean, I've always been treated just like anybody else in the sector. Um, you know, I've had my moments where I've had some issues and I've pushed back on on poor behaviour. But at the end of the day, I just say that people that display poor behaviour are just bullies. 
on the subject of women in the industry or just the the sector more broadly, where do you think it's going and where do you anticipate um, we might see some, I guess, interesting changes in the next five, ten years? We will eventually see some sort of parity. You know, it's about lifestyle choice. Not everybody wants to choose that lifestyle. As we have, you know, better internet connections and things like that, that where we can get live data from drilling, we're going to see less and less people in the field. And so that becomes more a more family-friendly style of work. You know, we'll get real-time data coming from drill holes eventually. And so the whole space of geoscience and drilling in the exploration sense will change. You know, we've got a major, major change coming in the next you know, five years, I think, um, especially now that we've got the likes of Starlink where you've got, you know, large bandwidths and, and big data you can put up and down via satellite. It's, yeah, that's, that's the biggest game changer, I think. Peter Libby speaking to Tom Robinson about receiving an OAM today, 11 to 1. You only get out what you put in. That's how Joda Cut-Up farmer Ian Goldfinch reflects on over half a century as a new land farmer on WA's southeast coast. The former Shire of Ravensthorpe president has worn many hats in his time. And today, along with his wife, Richenda, Ian is being recognised with a Medal of the Order of Australia. He says while numbers in rural Australia are dwindling, there's still such a rich community spirit which is what brought him to WA in the first place. Well, we came over uh, and we were travelling together and uh, I was brought up in Sydney and I did a lot of sailing and I got to Esperance and saw there was a sailing club and suddenly realised you could actually go farming and go sailing at the same place. And having come from uh, working in, uh, on stations in New South Wales... There was no sign of the sea. It was a major sort of holiday. So we suddenly said, well, this is a nice or bad place to try and stay. At that stage of the game, new land farming was very much in the swing. And we, uh, we then stopped in Esperance and tried to apply for a new land block. Uh, and then eventually was successful. And... Successful, not quite in Esperance, but in the Esperance region. Mm. We're here at your kitchen table at Jerdicutta, where you've been farming for, dare I say it, over half a century. And you've made some really significant contributions to the local community, all while developing a farm and splitting your time between primary production and the community. How have you been able to do that? I'd just like to say the the, the honour of this whole thing is just mind-boggling. We sort of did things in the community as part of the uh, of just getting out from the farm and getting involved. And um, we've always enjoyed it. What I believe is we had talents that we developed in other fields that were able to be brought together to start a new community. And this community here was brand new and uh, we'd come from all over Australia uh, as families there were 56 blocks in the area, and so we had basically 56 families, and we were on our own. We didn't have any relations. We didn't have any support group. So slowly but surely, uh, we we very quickly, I suppose, really, found that we had to get together and support each other. And so that what got us involved, and it was uh, fantastic, um, and I've enjoyed it. We don't think that we've done anything that would warrant such a fantastic recognition 
as uh, an Australia order. Well, looking at your resume, I beg to differ because it's extensive, Goldie. Uh, looking at when I suppose you first came to the community, and as you said, you had to develop that community. And these days, there are larger farms, less people. Has it changed? Is is that community spirit still the same? Well, I'm afraid to say it isn't, which is a great shame. And that's reflected in in things like uh, football uh, clubs and and other things that we used to get together. And so we find ourselves that now, being in an area where there were 56 farms, we're down to around about five original farmers left. And in the farming community, instead of 56, there's only, only about 15 actual farmers that are farming that land now as it's amalgamating and amalgamating. It is very hard to get together. Luckily, this weekend, we're actually having a Back to Jura Cut-Up reunion. Uh, there'll be a lot of fun the day after Australia Day. We're going to have a Jura Cut-Up Day. Yeah. Now, the community of Ravensorp, I should say the Shire of Ravensorp, of which you were president for, for many years, it's always had a dual economy, farming and mining. Of course, this last week we've seen an announcement by First Quantum that they're once again going to put the local mine on care and maintenance. How do you maintain, I suppose, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows of a community which does have such a, a dual economy? Well, I think that what we, we sort of thought when mining came we were just going to be a fantastic bigger community. But the way the, time, the mining works, it's 24-hour shifts. They tend to work as a group, and we are working as a farming group. We don't interconnect that much, but what it has done is increased the services that were, are now available. And so to lose uh, uh, mining means that the services that we so now got used to, will re- recede. You know, we've got some very good shops in Hopetown now. It'll be a shame if they get affected. What do you hope your legacy will be to the community, Anne? You only get what you put in. What's happened is that we've put in. Uh, we don't see that as an imposition to us in any way. We, said we had a great time. We've made great friends. We've had a lot of fun. And it's helped us to actually be a good farmer because uh, if, you've, if you're stable and you've got friends around you, it really makes a big difference for getting up every morning and getting on that tractor. Now, I mentioned earlier that both you and your wife, Chanda, are receiving medals of the Order of Australia this year. And this came as a bit of a surprise to you. I mean, you've worn so many hats over your time and you've had so much support from your wife and you've supported her as well. But to both receive this award at the same time came as a bit of a surprise. Totally, utterly a surprise. I, To be quite honest with you, I thought it was a scam and I, I just couldn't believe why. And so the question I ask, why us? We, have, we are only one of many people here who have made this community work. And I feel a little bit sort of saying, well, you know, do I deserve this? Uh, it's nice to be recognised. It's a, such a fantastic honour that it's actually blown me well away. 
Joe to up farmer Ian Goldfinch talking to Tara DeLangraft about being honoured in today's Australia Day Awards with an OAM, which is a Medal of the Order of Australia. And congratulations to Ian's wife, Richenda, who, as you just heard, also receives an OAM today for her contribution to the Ravensthorpe community. This is the Country Hour, four minutes to one. Let's get to today's market. And the wool market this week has been pretty flat. The Eastern Market Indicator is down 10 cents to finish the week on 1,186 cents a kilogram clean. And the Western Market Indicator down 11 cents to finish on 1,306 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett, what do you make of this week's market? Yeah, all three centres, Sydney, Melbourne and Fremantle, they all kicked off lower on the outset and traded at that level over the next two days. In Fremantle, that bore out with 17 microns falling falling 30 to close at 1790. 18s were off 5, 1600 flat on the close. 19 microns off 20, 1425. 20 microns were 1335 on the close. They were off 10 and 21 microns, 1325, same as last week, fully par for the week. Fine end of the pieces fell away 35, so that um, moves back to more historical norms with that price differential between fleece and pieces. 19 micron, however, is still very narrow, so I would suspect as we move over the next couple of weeks, you find those pieces or the fleece will move up and down respectively to open that gap up again. Oddments. We had a very flat week, again, little to no movement, although locks were the star, moving 20 upwards for the week. Stains, crutchings, fully firm. Lambs across the board, fully firm for the week. Interesting point, one third of the Fremantle offering of merino fleecing, fleece combing wool was either passed in or withdrawn prior to sale this week. So that will have to come back up at some stage as we move forward. And in their bidding for the wool this week, who was there? Well, great to see PJ Morris, West Australian-based company, taking top spot this week. So roughly $5 million worth of capital out to trade that wool for them. TNU second, Tech Wool third, Endeavour Wool Exports in fourth place. The top four haven't really changed, as I keep saying, in the last two years. Although Mellower, another Chinese firm, were in and it was good to see them in, but they're operating on very specific types. Crossbreds, again, Tech Wool, second largest buyer. Oddments, tech wool, third largest buyer. Merino skirtings, tech wool, second largest buyer. So again, same same pundits in the market as we're saying over and over. And then looking ahead to next week, how many bales will be on offer across the country? Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle, just over 36,500 bales. If the exchange rate keeps behaving and doing what it's doing, Hopefully that bodes well, although we had a lower offering this week. Hopefully two in a row we start to see a little bit more squeeze come into the market, a little bit more demand. Time will tell. Thank you so much, Danny. Appreciate that. Now, the second men's cricket test match between Australia and the West Indies is being played at the Gabba in Queensland right now. It is the second day of the day-night match and the West Indies are doing okay at the moment, still batting in their first innings. And the reason I mention that is because there's a chance the test is still going on the fifth day, which is Monday. And if it is, like today, there won't be a Country Hour on your radio, but you will still be able to stream the Country Hour on the ABC Listen app or just search ABC WA Country Hour and you can stream the program straight from the website. And, of course, the podcast is going to be there on your normal platforms so you can listen to that any time you like. Talk to you Monday. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. 
Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.